If you have your Bible today, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.17. 2 Corinthians 3.17. The title of my message today is The Freedoms That Christ Gives. We're going to be talking about those this morning. Let's look together at God's Word. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This Sunday and every Sunday, God's people gather together in worship. We've been doing it for over 2,000 years. On Sundays, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection was the greatest day in the history of mankind. On this day, about half of our population goes to church somewhere, or those that are uh, in the hospital or a nursing home or wherever, they might watch on TV. A whole lot of folks are celebrating that today is the day that celebrates our Lord coming out of that grave and going on to glory. All will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus as the days pass that know him and that love him and that stand for him. The resurrection proved who Jesus really was. Jesus made some very, very strong statements in his life. The people that heard them just sort of backed up. They didn't know what to think. They thought nobody else has ever said those things. Jesus said, I am the Savior of the world. And he was. He said, I am the Messiah. And he was. I am the only way that you can go to heaven, and he is. I am God in human form, come to earth to show you what God is like, and he is. After they kill me, I'm going to rise on the third day, and he did. All of these strong statements were true. The real issue this morning is what difference does all of that make with each of us that are here in the building this morning? Why have we come this morning to this sanctuary to celebrate an event that happened over 2,000 years ago? Because the resurrection of Jesus has purchased so many freedoms for each and every one of us. One might say, well, I'm an American. I have all kinds of freedoms. I'm not worried about freedoms. I already have those. Well, do we? Let's look this morning at some of the freedoms that we have in Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus gives us freedom from guilt from our own past. Guilt is obviously a destroyer of happiness. We know that. Guilt is the number one source of stress in America. Guilt can cause literally a physical illness. People are so guilty, they get so sick, they can't even get up out of bed. Guilt is a major cause of depression. All of us feel guilty at some time. Every one of us. We all have regrets Because none of us are perfect. I'm not, you're not, nobody is. We all have said things that we wished we hadn't have said. We all have done things that we wished we hadn't have done. 
we feel guilty for those things. Here's the good news this morning. I always like to be the bearer of the good news. The good news is, is that God wants to wipe our slate clean, perfectly clean. He wants to give us all a second chance. What Jesus did on the cross means that you can live guilt-free. Colossians 2.14 says, Christ has canceled every record of the debt we owed. He has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. Canceled is a a wonderful word. Uh, we, We think of canceled checks. How long do you remember a canceled check? Not very long. How long do you remember a bill that has been paid? You don't remember it at all. It's done. It's over with. You can forget it. You do. Here's the point. What God has forgiven, I can forget. That's the point. I do not have to continue beating myself up over the things that I've done in the past. I do not have to crucify myself on a cross for mistakes that I've made because Jesus was nailed there for each of us that are in the house this morning. That is the good, good news. How many of you, when you were kids, had a thing called Etch-A-Sketch? You remember that? A whole bunch of you have. Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you look like, no. No. You had this little board, and on the board there were two little dials on the bottom of the board. And you could write on the board, or you could uh, print on the board, or you could draw pictures on the board. You could do a whole lot of things. When you made a mistake, you know what you did? You turned the board over. And then whatever that stuff that was in there would cover the whole thing. And then you turn it back up, and you had a clean slate again. You could start over. It's wonderful. This is the Etch-A-Sketch verse in the Bible, Colossians 2.14, the one that we just read. Uh, God is telling you this morning that he wants to wipe your slate clean. He wants to give you a totally clear conscience. Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning... I want you to get this next part. This is the key, key part. Hear this. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have done, you matter to God. He loves you. He forgives you as you place your faith and trust in him. He wants to set you free from your guilt and sins which have haunted you sometimes for years and years and years. He wants to give you a second chance. It's never too late to start again with our loving Lord. It reminds me of the lady who was a widow. She had loved her husband very, very much. He was a great man. And and then, of course, as time passed, he passed away. On her husband's tombstone, she wrote these words. The light of my life has gone out. Well, time passed. A couple years later, she met a man. Uh, They started uh, dating. They uh, fell in love. They got married. Well, this tombstone uh, that she had put up was right in the middle of town in the tombstone. 
And she didn't know what she was going to do about that. And she thought about it and thought about it. And so one night she went in there and she wrote, I struck a new match. (laughs) You can start over. God wants to set you free from the guilt of the past. He also wants to set you free from the worry of your future. All right, number two. Uh, Have you noticed that uh, America is a nation of worriers? Uh, We worry about everything. We worry about our bills. We worry about our problems. We worry about our health. We worry about everything. We worry about our career. We even worry about our worries. Did you know that? One of the things that bothers me is every time I pick up the newspaper, there are some people, I don't know where they are, they're probably in New York City, and uh, they, they write in there and tell us all the foods that are bad for us. Have you ever noticed that one year this will be bad for you, and five years later, it'll be good for you? I mean, it's unbelievable. I pick up the newspaper, and it says that we ought to give up red meat. Well, guess what? You know these two teeth in your mouth? They're incisors. You know what they're for? Eating meat. God gave you those teeth. It says in those articles, we're not supposed to eat a lot of kinds of seafood. You know where Jesus lived? On the Sea of Galilee. He ate all kinds of seafood. On and on. They probably don't even like little sweet potato chips. You know, I I know that those things are all right. If you look up the word worry in the dictionary, you'll find the word means your mind divided, a divided mind. That's what worry is. It's a mental tug of war. It's pulling you in different directions. The greatest game of worry that we play is the what-if game. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if she says this? What if he does that? I mean, it's the worry game. We worry about our future. We worry about what lies ahead. Because we worry like this, we're always looking for inside information. It always amazes me what people will do to get this inside information. Sometimes when I'm out visiting in homes... I see on their table these astrological charts. And I want to just go over that and say, this is junk. You know, I don't do that, but that's what I want to do. Some people are into the tea leaves or the palm reading or the psychic hotline on television. All of that stuff is nuts. Uh, You know, none of that is any good at all. Would you like to be free from worry? The Bible says... Don't panic, pray. Cast all of your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. If it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. Worry never solves a problem in your life. It only messes up today for you. Worry can't change your past, and it it doesn't have to control your future. What's the secret for worry-free living? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. 
The key to worry-free living is to trust your future to Christ. Say, God, I don't know who holds uh, the future. Uh, I don't know what the future holds. But I know that you, you, the Lord God Almighty, you're the one that is directing our destiny. We know that. We know that your power is in me. And that because of that, we can handle anything. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well today in this world. And it can raise you above the troubles that you have in your life. Did you know that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible? Don't you think that's interesting? If you have one of these concordances, one of the thorough concordances that has everything in it, uh, if you look up fear not, 365 of them in the concordance. Don't worry. God's, God is saying, don't worry. I'll handle it. If you'll trust me, if you put your faith in me, I'll take care of it. The gospel sets us free from our worry over the future, as well as the guilt from our past. Well, the third point, Jesus gives freedom for purposeful living. God's put deep inside of each one of us a desire to know him. You say, well, I didn't know that. You know, I lived 50 years, I didn't know that. I lived 65 years, I I never knew that. Well, believe me, inside of each one of us, initially, God put a desire that we would know him. You might not recognize it. You might say, well, I don't know where that is inside of me. But you do have a desire to know what really matters in life. It comes out in questions like this. Why am I here? What am I here for? Is there a purpose in life? Does my life really count? Does it count for anything? Am I here just to live for a few years and then pass off the scene? Is there more to life than getting up, going to work, coming home, eating supper, watching TV, and going to bed? Is there more to life than that? The good news is there's a whole lot more to life than that. But until we know what that purpose is that's in our heart and mind and soul, we look for anything to give our lives meaning and purpose. Some people try pleasure. You know that. Every weekend is the great escape. They're going out trying to find something that will give meaning to their life. Whether it's scuba diving or bungee jumping or bird watching or whatever. We say to ourselves, if I can have thrills and chills, then my life will be happy. Well, no it won't. Uh, Some people try to find meaning through the acquisition of possessions. Uh, You remember uh, this saying went around uh, years ago and everybody saw it and knew it. Uh, The one with the most toys wins. You remember? We've all seen that. A couple years ago, a new T-shirt came out with a new saying on it. It says, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. (laughs) And that's true. If nothing gives me real meaning in life, 
then I'm only here to gather up a few things that I can give to my kids when I pass off the scene. If that's all there is to life, then why get out of bed tomorrow? Why don't you stay in the bed? You see, success does, does not ultimately satisfy. Because what you need in life is not success, but significance. You and I both need to feel that our lives really matter. The good news is this. You are no accident. I don't care what the situation was about your birth. You know, you hear all the time, well, that must have been an accident. Well, no, it wasn't an accident. Uh, We were there uh, because God wanted us to be. God made you for a purpose. The Bible tells us that God planned you before you were even born. The saddest part of the abortion issue is not the rights of the mother or the rights of the child, but the thwarting of God's purpose in this world by removing his opportunity to work his purpose in the life of that child. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has uniquely designed each one of us. We're like no other person in this world. God has a personal life mission for each one of us that he wants each one of us to fulfill. The sad part is that too many people go all through their life and they never discover what God's mission for them might be. I feel real lucky. When I was 18 years old, I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. And I've been doing it uh, since. And And, you know, it's just wonderful. And I know many of you, I talk to many of you that have said to me, you know, I knew what God wanted me to do early on. And I've had the joy of serving him all these years. Well, the church is here for the reason to make sure that you have a saving knowledge of Jesus. That's foundational for everything. And then to help everybody understand the reason or the planned purpose that God has for your life. Discovering God's purpose in your life is the most important discovery that you will ever make. Everybody is driven by something. Some people are driven by the approval of other people. You know that. Some people are driven by greed. You know that. Others are driven by pleasure. We know a lot of them. I challenge you to discover God's purpose for your life and be driven by that. All right, point four. The gospel frees us from having to earn our way to heaven. He gives us that freedom. If I went over to Tampa and stood on a real busy street corner and I asked all the people that I could get to stop and talk to me, are you going to go to heaven? Well, what do you think they would say? Obviously, this has been done many, many, many times. There's been all kinds of books even written about this. About 90% of those surveyed would say, well, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. And then if I followed up that question with this question, on what do you base that hope? 
about 90% of the people would say, well, I do good things. I do good things. God says, bah, wrong answer. <laughs> wrong answer. He says that the world's idea of how you get to heaven is by keeping rules and regulation. That's the world's idea. That's not God's idea. I want to give you a summary of the Bible. Now, don't, don't faint. Uh, we're going to get out at the regular time. <laughs> These are kind of the cliff notes of the Bible. Here is what the Bible says about your future. I would suggest that you trust it rather than what some nut in Hollywood says. Or what some self-help book says. The Bible tells us. Number one. Heaven is a perfect place. There's no sin in heaven. No crime in heaven. No disease in heaven. No mistakes in heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. No pain. No death. Number two. The Bible says that you have to be perfect to go there. So, oh, we say, that's not good. That means I'm not going. That's terrible. I don't like that. I don't stand a chance. Well, I don't either. Nobody in here does. That's why God made plan B. Point number three. The Bible tells us there are two ways to get to heaven. Plan A, be perfect. Uh, From the day you were born, you would never sin. You'd never do anything wrong. You'd always do everything right. You would always be perfect. If you can do that, then you deserve to go to heaven. But, of course, you can't do that. Well, the likelihood of that happening would be harder than someone getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame because they batted a 1,000 every year that they played baseball. Not a chance. That is not going to happen. So God went to plan B. He came to earth in human form. We call that person Jesus. Plan B is to get to heaven on God's ticket by trusting in Jesus, who was perfect, and he can let you in. Remember Colossians 2.20. You don't get to heaven by obeying rules. You don't get to heaven by regulations. You don't get to heaven by a ritual or by a religion. You get to heaven by a relationship, a relationship, knowing Jesus in a very personal way. A man in Canton, Georgia, had a very humorous thing happen to him when he took his son and five of his son's best friends to the county fair. Each one of them, of course, wanted to ride every ride at the fair, and the father would stand there, and he'd give a ticket to his son, and then he'd give five tickets out to the other five boys. And they would go and ride the ride for free. And it was fun. Well, it got down to where they were at uh, one of the last uh, places and uh, one of the last rides. And he stopped and he gave his son a ticket. And he gave the other five a ticket. And then there was a a boy standing there. And the father said, "Uh, who are you? And the little boy said, I'm your son's newest friend. Your son told me that if I were his friend, that you would give me a ticket and I could get in to the ride. One day, you're going to be standing before God, and God will ask, why should I let you in to this perfect place? 
And you can either say, plan A, I was perfect, which would be a lie, and of course uh, he would know that. Or you can say, I trusted in your son who said that you would let me in because of him. That's it. That's it. Notice it says, you don't earn it. It's a gift. I don't know if you've had the Red Cross life-saving course. One of the things they teach you is try not to save anybody in the water while they're still trying to save themselves. Uh, Folks are taught to swim out close to the victim, but not get right up next to them. Stay far enough away where they can't uh, grab hold of you. Because if they see you there, they'll grab you, and then both of you will drown. That would be bad. So you want to just kind of hover a little bit away at a safe distance. And then when they're all tired out, you come in from behind and put your arm around them, and you take them in to the shore. If you try and save them while they're still thrashing around, They're going to drown themselves and you for sure. The simple lesson is that you can't save anybody until they stop trying to save themselves. God is telling us we can't get to heaven by being good. We cannot save ourselves. We get to heaven by putting our trust in Jesus and trusting in his help. The fact is, we don't really like to talk about this, but it's true. The fact is, we're all going to die. I visited Ray Tucker yesterday, a member of our church, a dear, dear, sweet, godly lady who gave her heart to the Lord a long time ago, has lived for him all these years. And as Cindy and I were sitting there talking to her, it was very obvious she's not going to be with us long. But she had a sense of composure and faith about her, not only in her face, but in what she said. She knows. Seems to me, if you know something is going to happen, no question about it, it is coming, it's going to happen. It would be a fool that wouldn't prepare for something as dramatic as that that is just down the road. How can I be certain what will happen to me after I die? Except the free gift. That God wants to give to you. A free gift. One of the freedoms that he gives to you. As you place your faith and your trust in him. This morning we're going to have a time of invitation as we do every Sunday. And we're going to invite you if you would. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. To slip to the aisle and slip down front. And take a stand for him today. If you've been visiting with us. You know and love Jesus and you need a church home, a place where you can really lift him up and be a part of those that love and serve him. Then you slip out and come and join with us that we might increase our ministry, not only right around here, but literally around the world. Come and help us in that goal. If the spirit of God tugs at your heart today, follow that. Slip out, slip forward, take a stand for Jesus. I'll be waiting on you right down here at the front. Let's stand together as we sing.